Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Yes, it's so great to see all of you. Who was here for Easter a couple weeks ago? Yeah, me too. I was here five times. It was wonderful. I want to thank Pastor Joe for preaching last week because I was just dog tired from the weekend before. So it's great to be back up here. Uh, we are going to be going back into our study in the book of First Corinthians. So if you brought a Bible with you, I would just encourage you to turn there. And if you don't have a Bible, all right, so I'll say this. So I was visiting a church not long ago and they got to that place where they said, hey, if you have a Bible, open it. And I didn't have a Bible and I felt kind of weird about it. You know what I mean? I, like, I felt like I was the only guy in the room that doesn't have a Bible. Trust me, if you're at Renaissance, nobody hardly brings their Bibles here. So it's completely fine. We, we stick them underneath the seats around you, and you're welcome to use one of those Bibles. And to be honest with you, the, the Bible that I'm probably reading most often through my week is a digital Bible on my uh, smartphone. So if you have a smartphone, you have a Bible app, you can go there. But we're in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. And I want to talk today uh, about this thing that I'm just going to call um, understanding the gospel or what I would say, uh, call maybe understanding our identity in Christ. We were just singing some songs that talks about who we are in Jesus, the things that Jesus makes available to us and how we should uh, look and respond into this new identity of Jesus that is available to us. All through the Bible, we read the stories of men and women who were called by God. It starts in the Old Testament with a man named Abraham. If you know the story of Abraham, Abraham was in his own land, doing his own thing with his own people, enjoying all of their time together. And God, and a mysterious unknown God to Abraham, calls him and says, come with me. I want to take you someplace. And Abraham, in a, in a crazy moment of wild clarity, he decides to follow this God that he doesn't know. Now, how many people would admit they would be willing to do that? It sounds so easy to read that in the Old Testament. Well, of course, Abraham followed God. God is great. God is good. He doesn't know God at all, but he chose to follow him. In fact, I would go so far to argue that you can, <laughs> okay, I'll say this. If you're waiting to know God before you choose to follow him, you'll never follow him. The invitation to come with God is an invitation to know him. God calls people all the time and says, come with me. Not only do I want to take you someplace, but I want to reveal who I am to you. I want you to understand how the things of my kingdom work on this earth and in eternity forever. So in the Bible, we see men and women following after God, just with an invitation. We read about it in the New Testament. In fact, I just want to open with a, a quick story from Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 9, we'll get to 1 Corinthians real quick, but this is the story of um, Matthew being called by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew, 
And Matthew was sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. I was praying this morning that if God were to call us, either to know him or to call us into some deeper devotion or meditation of him, that we would be a people quick to respond like Abraham, like Matthew, like those fishermen who were on the shore when Jesus came to them and says, hey, why don't you guys follow me? And the the gospel writer says they dropped their nets and left and followed him. All too often, we're a people who try to rationalize the things that we're doing and the reasons why we can't necessarily drop everything to follow Jesus right now, don't we? We try to rationalize what we're trying to do. We try to rationalize, well, I've, I've got you know, this thing at work. I've got this thing with my family. I've got all this. You know, when the kids are grown, <laughs> that is my world, friends. Let me tell you right now. Just five minutes before I walked up here, me and a friend, I think we're friends. We don't know each other. We're going to get to know each other. We're trying to get together for like coffee or breakfast or something. And he says, are you available on Saturdays? I'm like, no. Are you available after hours during the week? I'm like, no. And here's why. I've got kids doing soccer and volleyball and honor society inductions and and you name all kinds of stuff. One day when the kids are grown, then I'll be able to lean into the greater things that God has. No, it's not true. Why are you shaking your head? It's (laughs) because we all know this. If it's not one thing, it's another. They're called excuses. They're they're disgusting. In fact, to be honest with you, I'll go so far as to say sometimes they're actually sinful to God. The, the invitation to follow him is, is a here and now moment. We should, we should follow who God is. Uh, Matthew hears the call of Jesus and he leaves the tax collector booth, which we'll get to in, in just a moment, and he decides to follow Jesus. Uh, the gospel writer makes no mention, and it's Matthew's gospel that we're reading, it makes no mention that he considered it or talked to his parents first or talked to his wife first or talked to his friends. He just, he just went with Jesus. So I hope we, we'll be people like that. In, um, at the turn of the 17th century, in 1599, 1600, there was a, a young artist by the name of Caravaggio. Caravaggio was commissioned by a church in Rome to paint... Uh, to create a painting that showed this moment where Matthew was called to follow after Jesus. And it's in the Baroque period, if you know anything about art, I'm just pretending like I do. There, there are people here who are much smarter than me, but I, I researched it this week. But there's, in this painting, which you can still see today, um, there's Matthew sitting at a table with a bunch of money on it as he's sort of t- collected taxes from the Jewish people. And there's a bunch of other people around the same table. And in, enter the room from one side is Jesus and Peter. And at this moment, Caravaggio describes this uh, image for us or paints this image for us where fingers just begin to point. Peter's pointing at Matthew and looking at Jesus like, is this the guy you're looking for? Jesus is pointing at Matthew who's sitting at the table with one hand on the money counting his ill-gotten gains and his other hand pointing at himself. He's like, who, me? Jesus is pointing to him saying, I want you to come and follow me. Many of us, I believe, are being called by God. Many of us, I'll argue, have already been called by God, but we're delaying the things that God wants us to do. See, the culture around us, the, the world around us is desperate to define um, our identity for us. 
it was in the 80s, I think, when researchers finally agreed that, that the idea of rugged individualism had finally reached its apex. And if you grew up in the 80s, you understand this. It was all about me, 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 me. How can I be different? And all of this is just pointing to this reality that we are desperate to find an identity for ourselves. In fact, even in our culture around us, we still see this. We're looking to perform more, to try harder, to be more successful, all the while trying to determine and build for ourselves an identity. We do this almost subconsciously. You go to a cocktail party, if those are still a thing, right? I mean, maybe a barbecue. You go to a place and you meet someone for the first time, and one of the questions you ask them is like, what do you do for a living? Right? That's the thing. I just want to get to know you just a little bit, bro. I just want, who, who are you? What's your identity? And all too often, we, just, we have our identity wrapped up in our vocation or what we do. But I would argue there's actually another identity, and it's the identity that God would want us to walk and to live in. It's, it's the identity that we have in his son, Jesus. See, the, the world, when it tells us that we need to find our identity, what it causes us to do is, is look at people, the people close to us, the people around us, as, as tools to, fa to fashion and form our identity. We say things like this. We don't say them out loud because it, this would sound disgusting and gross, but we'll say things like this. Well, he makes me feel special, so I'll stay with him. Or they, they laugh at all of my jokes, so I want to be funny, so I'll stay with those people. And, and people just become commodities to be used to fuel an identity that we're desperate to build for ourselves. And yet God wants to rescue us from all of that by giving us a separate identity that's uh, above and beyond what the world would offer us. It is an identity that is rooted in Jesus. You don't believe me. John's Gospel, chapter 15, Joe reminded me of this this morning during our prayer time. That in, in John chapter 15, Jesus speaking to his disciples, this is before he's to be arrested and crucified and you know, you know the story. But he's talking to his disciples about what life is supposed to look like. And he, he uses this horticulture sort of um, metaphor about a vine and branches. And he's saying, like, abide in me. And in, in the middle of all of that, he talks to his disciples and he says, I've chosen you. And, and you can imagine Matthew just flashing back to this moment at the table where, where, where Jesus comes and points at him and says, I want you to come with me. But he says to all of them, I have called you. I've chosen you. And you're not supposed to uh, live in this world any longer. And he says, there's going to come a moment when the world will hate you because of me. But, but take heart, they hated me first, he says. <laughs> you ever feel like, what? That's so strange to say that. They're going to hate all of you, but they hated me too, so it's okay. It's like we're in like company. But hear this. Our identity that God has called us to, this sounds like the wrong word, it's otherworldly. It's, it's not of this world. It, it, it shouldn't, it cannot, it must not look like everything else. We are truly, to quote the Bible, peculiar people. We look, sound, act, think just a little different than the world does, than the unrighteous do, to use Paul's language here in a moment. We should act, think, and sound different. Would you agree? Would you agree? 
I just want to hear you say it because I'm about to blast you real quick. <laughs> yes? Then why don't you? Okay. That sounded harsh, Joe. Why'd you make me say that, Joe? <laughs> why do we look just like the world? Why do we sound and think just like the world on so many things? It's, it's true or it's not. If he's called us into something other, then why don't we look other? Why don't we think, sound, and believe other? It, it just... This is the issue of the Christians in Corinth. See what I did there? This is the issue of the Christians in Corinth. This is Paul the Apostle writing to the Christians there at the church that he established some years before after catching word from others about the Christians there that they're, they're going off the deep end, Paul. They're crazy. And, and we kind of went through all the stuff the last few weeks about some of the th stuff that's happening there. But last week, Joe went into this issue of uh, the, the Corinthian believers were constantly suing one another, going before the courts with lawsuits after lawsuits. And it's not to say that it's sinful to sue someone. It's not saying that. What he's saying is that was the culture of their world. That was their cable TV, if you will. They just sued everybody for, all the, for everything. It was just a lot of fun back then. And the Christians were no different than them. He says, you my friends, have lost your identity. You don't know or have forgotten who God has called you to be because if you knew that, then you wouldn't be acting this way. You wouldn't be responding to life this way. I, I want to pray for us. I want to read a few short verses uh, and then I want to ask God to just speak to us if that's okay. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for our time together that we can come and sit underneath the, the instruction of your scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be with us and that you would help us and that you would encourage us. Ah, yes, the, the, Jesus says that the spirit that you have been given to us to convict us of our sin, to empower us to live a different life. All the things that Jesus spoke about to the disciples and we read about in the Bible is available to us in the power of the Spirit. And so God, we thank you for that. God, we ask that you bless our time together today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Yes, amen, amen. Chapter six, verse nine the first part of verse nine says this. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So all this stuff happened last week. Joe kind of went through the first part of chapter six. There's a bunch of stuff happening there. They're suing one another. All this stuff's going on. And he goes, he just reminds them, don't you understand? You're acting like the unrighteous people. You're acting like people who are not Christians. You're acting like just the world around you. And he goes, just may I remind you of a couple of things. You need to know this, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a harsh statement. Wouldn't you agree? And yet I think we believe it. I think we have to believe it just logically. Okay. If there is a God who created everything, who is holy and perfect and righteous in himself, then his kingdom is established to look like him. Would you agree? 
And, and if he is a God who created everything, don't you think he gets to decide who gets in and gets out? <laughs> yes? I mean, I think it makes sense to us, and yet we don't like to hear it. We don't like to think about it, that the unrighteous people, the, the unsaved people will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, what is this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, which are oftentimes used interchangeably in the Gospels? We could do a whole series on the kingdom of God. Just know this, it is not just heaven. All too often we think that what God is saving us to is something there and forever, not here and now. See, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is available to us here and now. That's why Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full or abundant life. He wants the kingdom of God to rule and reign in our lives now. Why suffer until we get to heaven to have the things that God wants for us? But all of this is rooted in this reality. We are the righteousness of God, that we must live like his son, Jesus. We must be patterned after Jesus. And because they're not doing that, Paul warns them, listen, listen. May I remind you, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Inherit. So my dad's here, he's sleeping, don't wake him up. Anyways. <laughs> I think that's it. he just listens better like this. There goes my inheritance. Anyways. But speaking of inheritance, my, my, um, my uncle passed away many years ago, and he left to my dad a, a race car or a, a street rod or hot rod. <laughs> You know what I'm trying to say? Um, through a series of life events, unfortunately, my dad never received said car. Okay? Let me ask you the question. Did my dad inherit the car or not? He didn't. He didn't. I don't care what it says on paper. I don't care what people with the courts mandated. I don't care what anyone says. Because he, he never received possession of it, he did not inherit it. What, what I'm trying to say in that is that God has available to us the, the ability to possess the kingdom of God. He wants us to inherit it, but there's a warning to us that the unrighteous won't inherit it. Now, I understand why he's saying that because there are people all around us who are uh, uh, what the Bible would call wicked or unregenerate or unrighteous or unsaved, whatever you want. But Paul's not talking to them, is he? Oh, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians who are not living with the true identity that is in Christ. They're looking just like the unrighteous world. And he warns them. Now, can I add just a little tension to the room? Like, please, I've been thinking about this all week. Like, I'm desperate to do this. Many people in the room will, I'm going to say a phrase, and you'll have heard the phrase before. It's um, once saved, always saved. Have people heard this phrase before? And, and for many of us, we actually believe that sort of thing. In fact, we believe the Bible teaches that, that once God has chosen us and called us and, and holds us in his hand, if you will, nothing can snatch us away from him. And so there's this idea that once a person has been saved and chosen, that nothing can take that away from them. And I, I, there, I would say maybe that's true. I come from a persuasion that believes that, that you can lose your salvation, or I would rather say you could walk away from your salvation. It's not like you lose it like your car keys. <laughs> You're like, uh-oh, <laughs> where'd my salvation go? <laughs> what? <laughs> Where did, what? 
It's, you know what I mean? Okay, so, okay, debating this, John reminded me of, for thousands of years. I'm not going to solve this today. But let me just add some tension here. If they couldn't lose their salvation, why on earth would Paul warn them? If this is just a theoretical or a hypothetical question or, or you know, just a warning out there just to, for them to consider it, there, it's no warning at all. You became believers. I, I came through Corinth. I preached the gospel of Jesus. Many of you became Christians. I left to go do some stuff, stopped by Taco Bell, did my laundry, and... And I'm hearing while I'm away, you guys are not acting like your new identity says you should. I'm warning you. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Um, I'd be willing to debate that. No, I wouldn't. I don't care. I just, I just feel like, like that's a real tension that we have to rectify in our study of Scripture. If there was no possibility of being saved and then losing some of that, then why would Paul even throw the warning out there? I'll just leave that for you guys to fight over, um, over lunch. So he says, and we continue reading in verse nine, so do not, do not be deceived. It could be maybe read this way. Stop deceiving yourself or stop allowing yourself to be deceived. This is that warning that he's putting them before them. I understand when he's talking this way, he's first applying this, this reality, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's applying that to unbelievers. I, I know that, but I think he's also applying it to the Christians here in the church. We keep reading verse nine and he goes through a whole list of sins or list of vices that appear to be prevalent in um, the Greco-Roman world in Corinth at this time. And I would argue seems to be prevalent in the church at this time. He, he lists them all, warning them that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he lists all of these vices. Look here. He says, the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Strange thing about lists like this. It's like, <laughs> can I be honest? Why stop now? When we, read these, <laughs> when we read these lists, we oftentimes apply them to other people that we know. I know an adulterer. I mean, not like, you know what I mean? Like, I know drunkards. I know swindlers. That's fun to say. I know... I know all, right? I know all this stuff. And all too often, we, we forget to apply it to ourselves. I got to be honest with you. That list is pretty far reaching. That, nest, that net casts over, if we were to be honest, everyone in this room. But that's not who God's called us to be. That's not who, who God called the Corinthian church to be. He, he lays this list before them because he knows personally that many of the people in the church are doing those things. They're, they're acting upon these things. Now hear me, this is not to be mistaken for someone inadvertently slips up and does one of these things. And you know, you're celebrating someone's graduation from college, that second glass of wine just bitch in the boo-boo, I understand, right? I'm, I'm not talking about accidentally I went a little over the line. I'm talking a, a, um, an enjoyment of, of said behavior over time, 
so that it becomes an identity for you. You become not a person who has done that. You become that person. Is that making sense? You are not a person who committed adultery. You're the adulterer because that's what you do. And, and Jesus has come not to have us keep that identity, but to make us new in himself. Yes? And so he throws this warning out to them and lists all the things that they're probably familiar with. <laughs> right? For many of them, this was their weekend. I'm just throwing it out there. In fact, maybe for, for many of us, that was our weekend. My, my desire is not to threaten or invoke fear in any person here, but to awaken the slumbering soul or spirit that is inside of you that is having you live a life that's beneath what God has called you to. And I gotta just stop like talking to you now. I have to include myself in this. God is desperate that I grow into the person that he wants me to be in Jesus. He's desperate for that. I Hear me, I, just because I have a face mic and I'm standing 14 inches off the ground above you guys does not mean I have got this stuff figured out. Is that okay to say? Or would you rather have a perfect pastor? Joe? <laughs> we're, we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you. <laughs> no, this, this is, I, I'm not a, trying to invoke fear. I'm just trying to let the, the, the word of God work in us the way it's intended to work. I don't have to convince anyone in this room of anything that I'm reading here. The spirit himself is doing it. My work here is really to just present. Okay, so if you, if you feel like I'm coming down really hard on you, that's not my intention. My intention is to read Paul's words written to Christians and may those same words that cut them, rebuked them, caused transition and change in their life to reestablish themselves into Jesus, may it have the same effect on us. Is that okay? And he goes one step further, after this sort of warning to them, he goes, may I remind you, you used to be like this. He says, and so were some of you. That's what you used to do. You used to be known for this stuff, but because of faith in Jesus and the power of the Spirit, something changed in you. I saw it. I was there. I witnessed it. But I've left. I'm away and all of a sudden, I don't know if it's weakness, I don't know what's happened, but the world is coming close to you and you're now acting like everyone else. You're not even acting like the person that you've become in Jesus. And he's, he's desperate for them to not do that. And then he, he closes this little argument with the, the reality of the gospel. He says this in verse 11, the second half. He says, all of you, and I'll say this to you here in this room, you have been washed you have been sanctified. You have been justified in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So even though you and I might admit that that list of vices looks like our weekends sometimes, may I remind all of us that we have been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. That is what our identity truly is. 
our actions just need to get in line with our reality. <sighs> Already. I shared this morning, I have sins in my life still, and I, you're desperate to know them. I will not tell you. <laughs> my wife could tell you. She knows me best. But I have, I have overcome sins in my life. There are things in my life that I was chained to. I mean, if you would have seen me 20 years ago, you'd be go, oh, Jeff, he's a fill in the blank. That was my identity. But for Christ, he has come in and changed my life. I have had complete deliverance over some things in my life. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Amen. And yet there are these few other things that just sort of hang on um, like Paul talks about, like a thorn in his side. It just sort of uh, just grabs a hold. I think maybe the reality is this, is that that's possibly just God's love and grace for us to remind us of our dependence upon him. That as we continue to grow and become more like Jesus, as, as we continue to be sanctified, which is the, the word Paul uses, which just means set apart for holy use. Who, who here wants their lives to be set apart for God's holy use? I'll raise my hand as long as it doesn't make me weird, is what I used to say. <laughs> I don't want to be one of those weird Jesus Krispies. I'm just saying, right? No, God wants a better life for all of us. And he's washed us. This is what it talks about. When Jesus' blood was shed for us, it cleanses us from all of the dirtiness, the, the vileness that God sees in our lives. It's not actually work that we do. It is Jesus Christ who shed his blood for us that we may become clean. And Paul reminds them of it. Your cleanliness does not come from you. It comes from him. Your set-apartness comes from Jesus, not because you determined yourself to be pious and holy. No. And your justification, that's a, that's a legal term. It says you are guilty, and now you are not. That justification does not come from you, but through Jesus Christ. He reminds them of all of that. Now, why do I labor into this? Because at the end of a message like this, it's so easy for everyone to say, well, then I just got to try harder. And you're missing it. <laughs> you are missing it. No, you, you encounter the grace of God, salvation by grace through faith. Jesus saves you, and that experience is real and genuine, and your behavior modifies because of that event. It changes over time. We don't change our behavior, and then all of a sudden become washed and become sanctified and justified. No, we are those things first, friends. It's those things first. See, our experience with the grace of God is here and our behavior over here. And over time, these things just get so close until what you're actually saying and doing and thinking, it lines up with the experience that you say you have had. And then there is no concern on whether or not a kingdom of God inheritance is do you at all. You know you are with God. You are abiding, as John 15 says, in Christ, and you will have everything that God has available to you. I wouldn't even desire to put applications for you out there, okay? Number one, uh, read your Bible 15 minutes a day. Check. And then um, uh, if you're feeling really spiritual, then add prayer to that. Add a 15-minute prayer cycle to your life every day. You, you down with that? 
Okay, ready, super spiritual people, gold star people? Let's start fasting. Wait on there. What? No, I can't do that. I can't lay applications out there. Here's why. Because God is calling each one of you into a relationship with him. Every person here, God is calling into something new. For many people, it will be reading your Bible for the first time, starting now. Like, Jeff, you seem to have this understanding of this. You know where I got it? Just from reading my Bible. For many of you, that's what is necessary. For many of you, you need to be reminded, no wonder your life looks black and bleak and all those things. You've just wandered away from, the, from God's truth, the daily intake of vitamin God in your life. You know what I'm talking about? They don't sprinkle that on cereal, just saying. <laughs> For others, you've got great, great devotion life. You could probably um, understand scripture better than most. In fact, I would call you a bobblehead. Don't take that the wrong way. But your head is so filled with knowledge, it just bounces around like this. That does sound harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> and some of your heads are a lot bigger than others. But he would, he would want our, our heads to be proportionate to our bodies, to our actions, to everything else. So for others, it's, it's not just more knowledge and more understanding. It's, it's, it's now living this stuff. It's devoting yourself to prayer, to serving others. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says to love God with everything. And that, that does mean everything. That's what the Greek means. <laughs> everything. And to love your neighbor as yourself. We're real good about sort of convening together with little Christian huddles. We do it really good on Sunday mornings. But I promise you, God is looking for his kingdom to be out there during the week, too. For some people, it is fasting. For some people, it is a mission trip. For some people, I don't know what it is. I don't. And I would never try to put a list before you because then some of you will just check off the list. This is what God is calling you to. I opened with Matthew 9, chapter 9, or chapter 9, verse 9, where Jesus walks by the tax collector's booth and he calls Matthew to follow him. Let's go back to that verse real quick. Matthew 9, 9. And as Jesus was passing on from there, from one place to another place, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax booth. He's on the job stealing money from his Jewish brothers and sisters. I mean, he's in the middle of sinning. I've said this before. It's not politically correct, but it's not unlike Jesus knocking on the back window of a sedan while a John and a lady of the evening are together. I'm trying to make that really forget it. All right, so anyways, <laughs> it's in the middle of something grotesque to the Lord. This is not like, oh, he's sitting at a booth eating a burger and Jesus walked. He's, he's sinning to God in the middle of his sin against God. Jesus, I'm like, he comes to him and he says, follow me. Now check, check, check. And then Matthew records this word. He says, and he rose and he followed him. That Greek word rose is the same word that we use when we speak of the resurrection of Christ. God is calling us to be resurrected from all the dead in our life into something new. It just requires an obedience and a willingness to say yes to him. God is calling us to be raised from the dead. In fact, today we celebrate Jesus' death and 
burial and resurrection by participating in communion today. We're going to take a little cracker and we're going to chomp on it in our mouths and it's going to remind us of Jesus' broken body for us. We're going to take a little cup of juice and we're going to drink it and it's going to remind us of Jesus' shed blood for us. But may I add on top of that, beyond all of that is the call as Christians to follow after Jesus because he's called us into resurrection. And this is not, hear me, not after we die and are resurrected, which is a true reality, which will happen to us, praise the Lord. But he is asking us to be resurrected in our life now, yes? Yes. Let me read something from, uh, it's actually Paul in Corinthians. He's writing to the Corinthian church. I lied. He says, the Lord Jesus, um, one evening, before he was betrayed, he, he took bread, and when he had given thanks for the bread, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is for you, which we sometimes add the word broken for you. My body is going to be broken and abused for you. The implication is so that your body doesn't have to be broken and abused. Through faith in me, you can just transition right into this resurrection. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he passes the bread around. That's what we'll be participating in today. And in the same way, it says he took the cup. And after supper, he took this cup and he says, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. And he passed this cup around. And he says, do this as often as you drink um, it. Do this in remembrance in me. He, he took a simple meal a Passover meal, and he laid to it the, the truth of the resurrection that is in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I don't believe that taking communion makes you a Christian, because then it would be works, wouldn't it? It would be what we did. I, I believe this is symbolic of something that Jesus has done. So I would just challenge all of us with the words that we heard Paul speak today, um, I believe through the power of the Spirit, that we would, we would truly inwardly look at our lives and consider taking communion today. We're going to pass it like we do every month, and many of you will just grab a cup and grab a cracker without thinking, please don't. Think about it. Think about it. Is this, is this my identity, what I'm about to participate in? Am I a resurrected son and daughter of God? That's the question we're asking ourselves. Is that okay? Um, but I do encourage you to take it, <laughs> right? Don't let it pass. You're like, wait, come back. I want to take it now. So, but consider it, okay? All right. I just want to pray for us while I'm praying. The band's going to return and the people serving communion will, will hustle down to the front. Watch. They're going to try to walk reverently, but I've already told them to not to hustle down here. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then when you're served the element, sorry, take them when they cross your lap, grab a cracker, grab a juice. Um, and then in the middle of the next song or two, you're welcome to take them whenever you're ready. Is that okay? Jesus' body's broken for you. You don't have to be broken. His blood's been shed to cleanse you and wash you. You have been made new in him and you have been resurrected here and now and will be forevermore. 
If you believe that, participate in communion. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for everything that you do. God, we ask that you spend time with us this morning during this, this moment of celebrating communion. Even though, Lord, it's a, a cracker that has been given to us and a small cup of juice, God, we just pray that it would be a spiritual moment for us this morning. That the Spirit of God would speak to us in, in the midst of such a small um, reminder of what you've done for us. <laughs> oh, God, what you have done for us through your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.